Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. Kevin and I need your help. Yes, we need your help. Please, please, please. We need your stars. We need your reviews, you guys, on iTunes so we can start to climb those iTunes rating charts. It's simple. Open iTunes. Click on the iTunes store. Search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. If you need some help, think of one star being Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the road company of the last five years, (laughs) and five stars being free front row tickets to Hamilton. (laughs) Although, when you think about it, I actually would give five stars to the road company of Carol Channing and Paul in the last five years, because I think that would be uh, awesome. I would love to hear, can I hear Moving Too Fast as Paul? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the one I really want. She's a shakes the goddess. <laughs> and through Erica Schwartz and Danica Weiss and the Handelman twins. So there you go. You can also leave a comment if you like. That's it. That's your reviews. It. Send us Thank your reviews, you. friends. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page, at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram, at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. Stitcher. Congratulations for those non-iPhone users. I don't even know what Stitcher is. You can now hear our dulcet tones. When we first started this podcast, this guest's name was right at the top of our lists because he is the epitome of a theatrical renaissance man. As an actor, he appeared in the original West Side Story. As a lyricist, he gave us Annie, I Remember Mama, and Two by Two. And as a director, his award-winning work has been seen not only on stage in such shows as Annie and Cafe Crown, but also on television with the Emmy Award-winning wonderful Smarvelous Gershwin. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Jerome Robbins, Judy Holliday, and Dorothy Loudon, plus how he created some of the most memorable moments in musical theater history. Here is our idol, Martin Charnin. Wow. <laughs> oh, my. I've never had an introduction like that, ever. I'm glad we got Cafe Crown in there right oh, off the yes, bat. Me, you know? me, too. I loved that show. It's come up in a lot of our interviews, really? actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. Walter Bobby, I want to say. Yeah, we say. had Walter Bobby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Someone took else over was... Uh, David Carroll. Yeah. Oh, oh that's because I'm obsessed with David Carroll. Oh, and I, anytime actor. I can bring him up to anybody who worked with him or knew him, I always try to hear just 
I don't know, a little information about him. David he, was uh, was a terrific actor. He had, I think, just done chess. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that was the w- job that he had had. We were at the public theater, Joe Papp, mm-hmm. and he had always wanted to do Cafe Crown, which was a play in the from the 40s written by a guy named High Craft and uh, revived once and then turned into a musical. Huh which didn't work, unfortunately. But he brought it to me. I was working with Joe on a couple of projects at the time, and he brought it to me and said, are you interested? Well, being very Hebraic, I agreed immediately. Uh, and I said, I really wanted to do it with uh, Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson. Wow. I had just done a show with them off-Broadway called In Persons, and I brought them into the project. They were dying to do it because they had known the, the piece. And then I said, well, Joe, I think what we should do is hire as many Yiddish theater actors as we possibly can find who are around. And we got the late, great Feivish Finkel, uh, who just passed away, I think, a couple of weeks ago. I'm yeah. not, I'm not wow. sure, uh, to be that notorious waiter at the Cafe Crown who had all of those great one-liners that took him an hour to get from stage left to stage right. He shuffled. I mean, we had to slow him down on occasion. Five-ish, you're going too fast. Uh, anyway, he was just brilliant. Bob Dishy was in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. And David Carroll played the son of um, Eli and Ann. The, well, that was the plot of the piece. But he was the only, basically the only non-Jew in the company. <laughs> However, he fit in brilliantly. He <laughs> really took took it to heart. And Walter Bobby replaced him. Yeah. Uh, David then went on to do I don't know something else before he unfortunately. Grand Hotel. Yeah. 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 I guess it was Grand yeah. Hotel. Maybe, maybe before he left us. Now, right. gr- growing up in Manhattan, were you exposed a lot to Yiddish theater growing up? I yeah, m- actually a lot to, to Yiddish culture and theater. My father was a. Uh, uh, a singer, and uh, he was a basso profundo at the Met, and he was also a, a cantor at a at a uh, congregation on 94th Street. Now, is it true your dad was not a fan of musical theater? Loathed it. Loathed, Loathed, Loathed it. it. How did he respond to, to your getting into it? Well, truth be told, he really didn't know I, I got into it on a creative writing side until... He had passed away. Uh, I was a painter. I, w- I went to co- music and art high school, mm-hmm. Cooper right. Union. Yeah, Cooper Union. Right. Yeah. And um, in my n- and I was a pretty good painter actually, sort of Chagall-y in my. I love Chagall. <laughs> yeah, in, in in my approach to paint. Chagall used to say he was Chardonnay. Oh, so that's... right, right, right. <laughs> uh, I met. I met Chagall once. At what? A, yeah, I did. I did at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, I had an agent at the time named Abe Newborn, who worked for CAA, I think it was. And he we, he took me to lunch at the at the Plaza. And in the corner table, Chagall had come to New York for an exhibit, I believe. I don't remember. Anyway, Abe spent the entire lunch looking at Chagall. <laughs> and, and telling me about him, and I knew, of course, a, right. a lot about him. But Abe said we have to get his autograph. I 
I said, okay. I took the menu over to the table. I really didn't have anything else for him to write on. I took the menu over to the table, and he was having lunch with an agent, I think, and his wife. And I took the menu to the table, and I introduced myself, and I introduced Abe Newborn, and I said, um, in sort of semi-Yiddish, which is one of which was the language you really understood. Yeah. Um, basically translated into, could you please sign my uh, my menu? menu. <laughs> and his wife grabbed the pen out of my hand and said, five thousand dollars. <laughs> and <laughs> I went, uh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to meet you. And I left. <laughs> With my uh, head between my feet, um, but he 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 did, he didn't do things like that. That's amazing. Yeah, he Evidently, he did. He wouldn't sign anything. What a wife, too. I know. Well, she was his agent. Yeah, clearly. She was in the business. Anyway, wow. But, but anyway, so my father uh, was a, as I said, a singer at the Met, Basso Profundo, the sea below low sea. Oh yeah. Right. Ooh. He was great friends with Ezio Pinza. Oh, yeah. And when Pinza left uh, the Met to do South Pacific, my father stopped talking to him. He was uh, literally... I'm picking and, my job off and, the floor. Well, and, and Pinza was uh, somebody who had dinner at our home, who we knew. Um, and my father just was so angry and, and upset with him. So I grew up in a culture in which... And why? Because he deserted the high art of uh, of the Met of opera mm. for the musical theater. What, was your mom an artist as well? No, my my mom was a, a Jewish homemaker. Um, but my father got ill in about 1955. He had my father was a perpetual smoker. I mean, mm. I do not have a recollection of him ever not smelling of cigarettes and or or having having one not in his hand and he smoked shallopins which were black russian cigarettes um they and named after fedor shallopin who was one of the great bassos of the yeah of the opera world <laughs> that's how he sings so low. Um, <laughs> but m my father had a heart attack and was bedridden mm. And in my last year at Cooper Union, I got a, a fellowship to go to uh, Guggenheim, to go to Rome to paint, because I was really not bad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> a friend of mine in the summer that before, the gra before the, my last year said, well, what are you doing this summer? And I said, nothing, uh, getting ready for my last year of school. And he said, well, why don't you come with me to this adult camp that I'm working at called Timberland in the Adirondacks? And if anybody ever read Marjorie Morningstar, they would know what, what those adult camps were like. They were places where people would come for a week or two, but they had a staff, and the staff would be uh, waiting on tables in the daytime and at night be rehearsing for the one-week show that they would put on. And my friend Bobby said to me, well, come on, you'll come up, you'll paint sets, and you'll do a walk-on in the Mikado or Damn Yankees <laughs> or whatever we're doing. And I said, okay, I had nothing to do. And I went up there. Well, I was bit, it, I mean. really badly bit by... I painted scenery. 
I did indeed end up in the last year of that summer playing uh, the devil and damn Yankees. Nicely done. You yeah. bet. And, <laughs> and I just loved it. I really loved it. And I came back and I said to my mother and to my great advisor, uh, I'm terribly sorry. I cannot go to Rome to paint. I have to give it all up and I have to go into the theater. And they just freaked out, uh, particularly my great advisor, Mrs. O'Sheridan. I still remember her and the look on her face. <laughs> when I told her. And indeed, I kind of just got through my last year and graduated, barely. And a week after I had graduated, there was an ad in the New York Times, in a column written by Sam Zolito, which was called News and Gossip of the Rialto. So the New York Times had a gossip column back in. <laughs> and, wow. in and the first paragraph said, that Jerome Robbins was looking for authentic juvenile delinquents <laughs> who could sing and act and move a little, and they could all come down to the lobby. Actually, it was the alley of the Broadway Theater on 52nd Street, and they had to come down that day. The audition was at 10 o'clock. And I went, and there were 2,000 people. Oh, my God. Uh, there were 2,000 people. And Ruthie Mitchell, who was a wonderful stage manager for Hal Prince, Hal, Hal yeah. was the producer of, of um, West Side, which at that time was called Gangway. It wasn't mm -hmm. even called West Side. And the show had gone into rehearsal weeks before, but Jerry had not completed the casting of the Jets. And uh, I'm, I was there with all these people. I had, I had flicked my hair back, so I kind of looked like James Dean. Mm -hmm. And I rolled up my uh, T-shirt and put a pack of cigarettes in it. Classic. You know, they, yeah. Which oh, yeah. you had to look like one of the authentic juvenile yes. delinquents. I put on my tightest jeans. I was much skinnier then. <laughs> and they, they were all right. My butt was okay, I yeah. guess. <laughs> and lined up with 2,000 other hopefuls of all shapes, sizes, creeds, colors. I mean, it was astonishing, the turnout. And Ruthie would go around going, thank you, no, 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 stay, thank you, no, 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 and like that. And 2,000 became 200, and I was still there. And ultimately, 200 became 20. Were they dancing you the whole time? They were time? doing nothing. They just literally we were, typecasting. They were type, purely and simply typecasting. Wow. And I... I uh, made it to the last 20, and we were brought then, brought into the theater. Now, this was a good three hours of standing around being <laughs> I, pointed at and told you were in or, or you, you were out. And uh, I, the first person I met at the door on my way in was Larry Kurt. Wow. Uh, and he looked at me and he said, you'll never get it. That was the first thing he said to me. We ultimately became the closest of friends. Yeah. Uh, and I really mean close, but he was kidding, kidding beyond belief, which is what Larry was. Um, and he walked out to go and have his lunch and I was still there. Uh, and the first person who actually auditioned me was Peter Gennaro, who simply asked me to walk from stage left to stage right. We weren't actually on the stage, we were in the lobby. 
left to right and snap my fingers as I walk. And I could do that. And I could do that without licking my finger. (laughs) Because a lot of people were licking their fingers in order to make the sound. But I passed the snap test. (laughs) And boom, I I was there. Uh, and the next person I saw was a young man uh, in a shirt and a tie, white shirt and a sort of a black tie, I remember, looking a little bit like what the characters in the Book of Mormon look like right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, and he made me sing. He said, do you have a song? And I said, yeah, I have one song that I really knew and I knew it because it had four notes in it, and I could really handle those four notes. It was, um, I wish I were in love again. The Rodgers and Hart thing. Yeah, I had done it in, a, yeah, I had done it in a uh, variety show that we did up at Timberland at this, uh-huh. and the sh- the song is da 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 da. I mean, that was it. Yeah, totally. That's the melody of that song. Uh, which I had a good lock on. And then, quite simply, uh, the young man said, can you do it faster? So I went, okay. And the pianist gave me a new tempo, and it was daily fights, sleepless nights, quick to binary time, blah, blah, blah. And then he stopped and he said, can you do it faster? And the third time, I really took a deep breath and became very consonant conscious and spit it out the daily fights the sleep and so on and so forth I can't do it now mm-hmm. but I did it then and again I passed the that that part of the audition and became one of the 12 that were left from the 28 were cut I later determined discovered that it was Sondheim who was asking me to do that and sing quickly. Uh, the other faces you kind of knew, Lenny was certainly on from television, uh, you knew Bernstein, uh, you knew Jerry Robbins' face. You didn't really know Steve. There had not yeah. been a lot of publicity no. sure. about him. New. I don't know that there were you know photographs floating around anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that was Sondheim. And the reason, of course, was because ultimately I ended up singing Officer Krupke and singing Officer Krupke, one needed to have a great command of consonants and right. yeah. Lyric. whatnot. Lyric. Uh, and then the next piece of the audition was for, uh, they took us downstairs, and a stage manager person gave us a sheet of paper. And it was script. It was some part of the script that we were supposed to read. And everybody read the three lines that were out were underlined. They weren't even highlighted. They were underlined for us to read. And I got a laugh on, the th- on my reading. Nobody else did. And I thought, oh, my God, that's going to wipe me out. I'm, I'm done. And it turned out that that was exactly what Arthur Lawrence, who was conducting that audition, really wanted. And he really wanted it because I ended up being the only Jet who had any jokes yeah. in 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 Westside. And which Jet did you play? Big Deal. Big I played deal. Big Deal, Big and deal. I was allowed to wear a hat and my glasses, which Jerry loved. 
And then the last thing was... was uh, This is all in one day, by yeah. the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this is yeah. one day. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Uh, and then at wow. the end of it all, uh, I met Jerry, who made me walk stage left to stage right and snap. And now, I, you know, I guess he liked my look. Uh, and then finally we we were taken into another room, and in that other room there was Bernstein. And he made us sing some serious notes. Maria, because in Westside there are four voices in the wings doing vocal echoes to Larry singing, Tony singing Maria. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of, I'm the third guy on that whatever. Yeah. And I then went upstairs, and Carl Fisher, who was the general manager, said, sign a contract for 265 bucks, and be here tomorrow morning, you're going to rehearsal. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's how you were cast in That's West Side Story. And all the side. dancing you had to do was walking across yeah. the stage and snapping. <laughs> right. That's I'm amazed. One yeah. marathon day. Well, this is epic. It, Jerry was desperate. I mean, he really had two more jet roles to fill. The yeah. other guy who got a part that day was Frank Green, who was the Tony understudy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got hired and Frank got hired on that, on that day. Absolutely amazing. And we went into rehearsal. And then I, of course, had an issue because I couldn't tell my father, who was ill, uh, about the fact that I was uh, in a Broadway musical. Oh, Broadway, yeah. I did, however, confide this information to my mother, and between the two of us, we invented this story, uh, which is that I was getting up every morning at 8 o'clock to go downtown to look for a job in as a graphic designer or something related to art. And um, we kept it up until I suddenly realized, oh, goodness, it's July or August or whatever, and we have to go out of town. And how can I explain? How can I explain out of town artwork jobs <laughs> being called for, particularly in Philadelphia and Washington? Uh, and I would be gone for ten weeks, five weeks in each town. And so I finally bit the bullet and I went in and I told my father and I sat him down. He was, it was an evening, it was a Sunday night I remember, and I said, "Pop, I gotta tell you, I am." in a Broadway musical. But listen, everybody who has anything to do with it is Jewish. <laughs> it's Bernstein. I mean, like... And of course, I told him Arthur and Lenny and Steve, and, I, and then I told him 
about Lenny, and Lenny was, of course, the piece de resistance. I mean, he was in both worlds and yeah. legitimately, firmly entrenched in both yeah. worlds. So it made it all right. My father did write to Lenny while I was on the road and told him to take care of my son or I'll come and get you. Oh, it's <laughs> endearing. That's, wow. That's how I got into the theater. Wow. That's how you got in. Now, when you're, when you're on stage and you're in the rehearsal process for West Side Story, you have all of these great people at the top of their game around you. Mm-hmm. Are you observing their process? Totally. Totally. As it turned out, the funny thing was that only two people decided to stay at the Jefferson Hotel in Washington. And they were me and Steve. And we had breakfast every morning together. We would, and we talked. And I learned an awful lot. And I listened an awful lot to the way that uh, these four giants conducted themselves and what they were doing. But in the final analysis, it was Jerry who who had uh, the final say, the directorial say, uh, and who really knew, he knew that show in a way that uh, encouraged me to know everything that I had to know about whatever project I was doing. I couldn't just isolate something and say, well, I'm the lyric writer and all I care about are how the words are being sung. No, Jerry knew about Sheriff's costumes. Jerry knew about Oliver Smith's set. Jerry knew about the orchestrations. Jerry not only knew about the details of whether your pinky was extended properly in the dance hall or not. Um, so it, it, the lesson was to learn, 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 listen and learn and learn and learn. So it was not only a course in how to put a show on, because it was. I mean, there was an immaculate Ness, if that's a word, mm-hmm. to Westside. Did the show change a lot in the rehearsal process? It changed from what, from a blocking standpoint. There were two or three numbers that had preceded me. I didn't take part in them that had been written but were, uh, were thrown out. But by the time I got into the show... Only one musical, new, one new musical number surfaced, and that was Something's Coming, mm-hmm. which was written late and was first performed for the Gypsy run-through before we went out of town by Larry at, on the stage of the Broadway Theater. And to this day, it's one of the great moments. None of us had heard it. None of the cast had heard it. That had been re- rehearsed in private, and uh, well, obviously with Steve and with with Jerry and and, and whatever. But it was a very private rehearsal because it was only a two scene, Doc and and Tony, and on a on a stepladder. We, we they lugged out a stepladder in the Gypsy Run Through, and he walked up the ladder and sang it, and it it was a standing ovation that he got from the audience. And from us, who was screaming and yelling, goes, imagine hearing something's coming for the first time. And only on a piano. Only on a piano. And it was still stirring and stunning. Have you always been into lyric writing? Have you always had a knack for poetry? Well, I don't... To begin with, I don't think lyric writing and poetry are the same thing. Uh, I think lyric writing... If you were a lyric writer, you're writing with a melody in mind. Whether or not that melody ultimately gets used is not the point. But you're writing with cadence, a whole other kind of cadence. You're writing, if you know anything about music, 
and I knew a little bit about music, you, you know you're writing uh, couplets or quatrains or whatever you're writing, and you're knowing you, you're, I mean, poetry does not necessarily have to rhyme. Whereas in my opinion, in this old-fashioned body of mine, I believe that, you know, time and mine don't rhyme. And so I'm a real purist about that, and it bothers me beyond belief today when people get away with rhyming together and forever. They don't rhyme. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was even Stephen, an article who recently said, not recently, maybe a year ago, I don't know, said that there is something really satisfying by uh, um, with a rhyme that is an honest rhyme, a true rhyme, even if it's a made-up word. And I mean, Yip Harburg was a genius at, at making up words or having them, you know, cutting a, something sweet, something sort of grandish, uh, and cutting off the it, the grandish at, at the ish part yeah. or whatever and yeah. making it a word that worked, that rhymed. And I was always a fan of Ogden Nash, so I knew about, a lot about, uh, and he was a poet, yes, but he was a prankster writing. And I ended up, you know, finding myself very enamored of, of writing. I, I, in school, I was the <laughs> editor of a very short-lived um, magazine called Tom Thumb at Cooper Union. We oh. did a, a little, um, uh, I think we had two issues <laughs> of this humor <laughs> magazine. That was about it. Uh, and and uh, I wanted to write lyrics. And I, always would, I would always write quatrains or couplets to people in responses to their birthdays or to a present I would got. It would be I had gotten. It would be easier to tell them how I felt or what I liked or disliked or what I thought about in four lines that rhymes. Do you and still I figured if the intention wasn't there, at least the the service that I attended in terms of doing it, turning it into <laughs> totally. a little poem was, do I still? Oh, it's the only yeah. way I answer well, letters. So you'd be great at Twitter. I mean, Twitter's <laughs> perfect for you. We should put you on Twitter. Now, you did a lot of review work, and, uh, yeah. you, and you still continue to do a lot of review work. How does your work in crafting a review shape how you're going to write or direct an, a piece of musical theater? They're totally different. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they're exactly alike. I mean, exactly the same. It's a question of structure. It's a question of sequencing. It's a question of you, you don't put three ballads in a necessarily in a row, one right after another. Um, review you can get away with murder in a review because basically, in review for the three minutes that the and I'm talking really about old-fashioned reviews. I'm not talking about what things are now being called reviews which are the jukebox musical kind yeah. of things. Because in point of fact, you could have done Jersey Boys by just doing Frankie Valley, But they interpolate. I mean, the same thing with Mamma Mia. They made the songs theoretically fit the, the script, so there is a continuity and a structure there. But in, in the reviews that we would do, were doing early on, like a Julius Monk, Julius Monk mm -hmm. yeah. um, who was a master of putting these little cabaret shows together, on uh, a place called Upstairs at the Downstairs. Uh, and I did, three, I did three reviews with him. And there were wonderful performers who were doing my material. Uh, Kay Ballard and did, did a couple of things that I wrote. 
and um, Marsha Lewis mm -hmm. and Charles Nelson Ryder. Oh, yeah. I mean, these were all people who worked. We were all beginning. We were all beginners. My first review that I ever had done was done in Provincetown before Julius, had Ruth Buzzy, Dom DeLuise, and Charles Nelson Riley. And they were, they were, you know, they didn't exist. Wow. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we, we, did a, we did a show. And then I did a review in the last year that I was in Westside. I decided to stay in Westside for a 1,000 performances, which I did. Thousand I closed folks. for one. I did 1,000 performances on Broadway. And then we went out on the road... And we came back, so I did played Westside for a thousand performances, wow. and then left. And uh, oh, I did get another job as a writer, as a lyricist, in a show called "The Girls Against the Boys." Mm -hmm. Bert, but that was all a very a weird kind of thing. Bert uh, Lahr and Bert Nancy Lahr, Walker. Nancy yeah. Walker. I was hired actually to be the guy who did rewrites on the funny numbers that weren't getting laughs. For Bert Lahr and for Nancy Walker. How did wow. you get that job? <laughs> well, oh, like it was it was very complicated, and they said you really can't. We really can't hire you that way. So what if we put you in the show, and call you Dick Van Dyke's understudy? That's how we That's were curious we were how curious. you got to be Dick Van Dyke's standby. Well, <laughs> I was Dick Van Dyke's standby. I never went on. I. I don't know if I ever saw any of the show because <laughs> what I was doing was writing lines that for for Bert Bert Lahr and Nancy Walk for songs that ultimately ended up in the show. I mean, it didn't it didn't work? It wasn't necessarily a good idea or a funny idea, but that was how I got into. But good the practice room. too. Yeah. I mean, no, to have to deal good. with a personality like that and find yeah. his comedy for him. Right. Now, wow. I have to ask you about. A musical of yours that I don't know anybody has ever seen, which is inspired by a Life magazine article? Yeah, that, that was a show. The first person that I really had a serious collaboration with was Mary Rogers. Uh, Once Upon and, a Mattress. Yeah, and she had done yeah. Once Upon a Mattress. I didn't do Once Upon a Mattress, but she, but she did, did it. She yeah. did it. She wrote Marshall it. Marshall Bear. And with Marshall mm -hmm. Wright, who was a genius, was a genius writer, lyric writer. Crazy, but a genius. Yeah, it goes hand in hand. <laughs> uh, and um, I met Mary through her connection to Steve. I mean, they were close, right. close friends. Famously, and I was yeah. brought into that community uh, because I guess I was presentable and funny. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the point is that Mary and I began to write. The first thing that we wrote was this musical. She had found an article in Life magazine. There was a credit card back in the 60s called carte blanche carte blanche. the carte blanche card oh yeah well oh, it, wow. existed. it was one of the first if not the first okay and a guy some guy a young man of about i don't know 20 25 25 stole a card and charged about a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment of <laughs> things i don't i mean i don't know what you steal what what they were specifically, but they were things, stereo sets, television sets, whatever. And an article appeared in Life magazine with him sitting on top of this mountain of, of, of stuff that he had bought with the fake, with the stolen credit card. And he had this incredibly self-satisfying look on his face, a big grin from ear to ear. 
And the, the caption was, why is this man smiling? And then you find out that Life magazine, in order to get his story, paid off his debt to the credit card company. <laughs> Oh and God. Mary thought that was a really neat idea for a musical. Yeah. And we were, right. we were writing at the time, uh, and she and I began to work on it. And we went with the idea, went, took the idea to Hal Prince and Bobby Griffith, who was his partner at the time, and George Abbott. Uh, and they loved it. And they said, okay, guys, write it, and we will do it. So we began to write it. We wrote a part for Tony Perkins, Psycho Tony Perkins. Oh, yeah, of to course. Play, to Green play Willow Tony Perkins. <laughs> Green Willow <laughs> Tony <laughs> Perkins. No, 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 you're right. Just to prove that he could sing. Yeah, so yeah. We, and, we were, and we were able to, uh, and, we, and because of her connection to Mattress, Mary got Carol Burnett to agree to be her, the female lead in the thing. So we had a really neat package. Burnett, Perkins, uh, Griffin and Prince, yeah. George Abbott, and Bobby passed away. Bobby died of a heart attack, and the whole thing fell apart. The entire thing. We'd written four songs for it by the time when that had happened. Four of them ended up in Hotspot. So, I mean... Your next collaboration. Uh, which was Mary, the next thing that yeah. I did. With, no, it wasn't the next thing I did with Mary. Next thing I did with Mary was a show for television, one of the first musical, original musicals for television called Feathertop. Feather, yeah. Mm. yeah. Feather Based top. on a Nathaniel Hawthorne short story for the Halloween of, I don't know, 1962. Yeah. What makes Mary Rogers so good? Oh, Mary had the world's greatest sense of humor. She was so sm and she was bright beyond belief. And also, here was a girl, and ultimately a woman, who was surrounded by... <laughs> Let us face it, folks. I mean, if you turn your, to, to the left, there's Oscar Hammerstein. If you turn to the right, there's your father sitting at the piano. And it was Richard Rogers. It wasn't just some guy sitting at the piano plunking away heart and soul. Yeah. So she learned a lot from him. Ultimately, she didn't want to write anything like him. But she was clever and she was witty and she was funny and she, was, she had a very sharp sense of humor. And everything made Mary laugh. Everything made Mary laugh. You could just simply say, I saw a guy walking down the street. Before you finished the sentence, she was on the floor laughing. She was great. We wrote a television show together uh, with Woody Allen as the sketch writer oh that never got on the air, interestingly enough, uh, for the U.S. Steel Hour. Um, and then we wrote, we wrote the we wrote feathers up, and then we wrote Hotspot. That is so cool. Now tell us about Hotspot, which is a show that not a lot of people know, and it's one of the things that we'd like to expose our students yeah. to. I mean, Judy Holiday, hello. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> why is it that there's a story about everything? Is that how it is with everybody you've talked to? Yeah, yeah. there is, and we love it. But you're drilling in, in weirdly. <laughs> Uncharted territory. Join us next week for part two of our interview with Martin Charnett.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.